And welcome to PodPod, the podcast all about podcasting for podcasters. I'm Rihanna Dillon, and this week we are joined by Ellis James, the comedian slash podcaster slash sports commentator slash Welsh speaker. That was relevant because he also does Welsh speaking podcasts. I'm not just, you know, picking him out for speaking Welsh. So we talk about predominantly what we can learn about podcasting from a comedian and also about the intersection between podcasting audiences and comedy audiences. And joining me this week are Reem Makari, reporter and journalist for PodPod and Adam Shepard, editor of PodPod. Hi, guys. Hello. Hello. Hi. How have you been? What's been going on this week? What is going on in the world of podcasting? Recovering from podcast show. <laughs> yep. I was literally about to say the exact same thing. <laughs> so much recovery. <laughs> <laughs> what does that look like for you guys? Sleeping for about 12 hours for the most part. <laughs> what has been going on? Because it sort of feels I haven't seen any major news stories breaking. So is there anything or is it just a really quiet week? One of the biggest stories from this week was that PodX, which is an investment podcasting firm, has acquired Listen Productions in the UK, which is their second acquisition in the UK. And it's one of the biggest production companies in the UK as well. So they work with a lot of big creators. They've recently launched their own original podcast, which is Unboxed. And they also worked for projects with Audible, Amazon. They've done podcasts with ITV. They do the Love Island podcast. And this means that they're going to have more financial support into creating new original content. And the management team that's from Listen that works on this content is going to stay the same. And they'll still be working from the UK offices, but this just means that they're going to have more support, which I guess when you look at big picture, when you think of big companies acquiring smaller independent companies, sometimes it might not seem as a great thing initially looking at it, but actually this is just providing them with that little extra support to still create content that they like and still create really good British IP, but just having the means to do it. Yeah, it's interesting for me because this feels like there's been a lot of doom and gloom recently about the money coming into the podcast industry and, you know, looming recession on the horizon and all of this kind of stuff. And this kind of big investment does feel like a nice confidence booster for the industry as a whole. Do you think that it's going to encourage other big companies to start putting money back in? Because I know that some have started to almost pull out or kind of cease their productions. I think so, but I think that's more likely to take the form of mergers and buyouts than it is to take the form of big money ad spending or big commissions. Uh, I think it's going to focus much more on companies buying existing studios with proven track records. Okay. Well, this week, as I mentioned, we've got Ellis James joining us. Adam, you and I spoke to him. And if you don't know Ellis James, he's the presenter of the Five Live show with John Robbins. He also co-presents the Socially Distant Sports Bar podcast with Mike Bubbins and Steph Guerrero and Ellis James's Feast of Football. So there is a lot of crossover between sports comedy, podcasting, of course, and radio. So we kind of delve in to all of that with Ellis James. Here he is. (laughs) 
Alice James, welcome to PodPod. How are you doing? Very well. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for joining us. You are very, very used to guesting on other people's podcasts. You've just come from one straight to another. So tell us, how often do you actually guest on other people's podcasts? Very often. And this is slightly odd criticism that you get occasionally, usually from people who don't listen to podcasts, that podcasting is quite a small pool of people and that we're all guesting on each other's podcasts. But it tends to be friends of mine from the comedy circuit. Mm -hmm. So I've just five minutes ago, just finished Reese James and Lloyd Griffith's podcast, Fit and Proper, which is really good. I really like that. And it was fun to be on because you have to work out what you would do if you were running your own football club um, or the football club you support. And I've guested on things like Quickly Kevin, Josh Widdicombe's podcast and Parenting Hell with Josh and Rob Beckett. And to be honest, if you ask me and I like you and I like your work, if I can find the time, I will usually do it. And they tend to be people like I've like I did um, the Birthday Girls podcast, mm. the live show actually, because they did that one live at the Underbelly on the South Bank. Because I'm friends with the Birthday Girls and I really love their sketch show. Yeah, I, I think it's a very very fun medium. But I started doing stand up in two thousand and five, and. When I was a teenager, I wanted to be in sitcoms. And then I met someone who said, oh, you should do stand-up because that's how they find a lot of talent for sort of comic acting and sitcoms and also for writing sitcoms. And I wanted to write my own sitcom. So I started doing stand-up and then that leads you to do panel shows and sketch shows and the radio. And I was in a sitcom and, you know, a couple of sitcoms, et cetera, et cetera. So I kind of tried most of the different kinds of comedy and I was doing all right. But when I started the show with John Robbins on XFM, as it was then, that was available as a podcast. And I wasn't really listening to podcasts at the time, but it being a podcast and making the podcast into something different and unique and working hard on it meant an awful lot to John because he was a huge obsessive fan of Adam and Joe. Mm. So for instance, I think... When I started the radio show, if I hadn't done it with John, who was a podcast devotee, and he'd insisted on reading emails and stuff in the intro and doing a little outro as well, I think if he hadn't insisted on that and taken the podcast itself so seriously, I would have just put it out as the radio show and I wouldn't have done anything Mm -hmm. else to it, which is what lots of radio shows did at the time and still do. And I think that the intro and the little outro meant a lot to the listeners because it was a way of engaging with them that we were able to engage with our listeners slightly more than maybe on the radio show because you can read longer emails you can do longer form things and it can be a slightly looser chat so then we started doing that and it was then that i saw the power of the podcast because obviously when i was a teenager i i didn't grow up wanting to be a podcaster because the medium did not exist (laughs) and then when we started doing live shows john and i I realized that the audiences were very, very different to the kind of audiences I used to get as a stand-up comedian. And they were far more loyal mm. and they were far more engaged. And you you didn't have to introduce yourself because they already knew you because of your work. And so the gigs were easy and the gigs were more fun. And then now I do lots and lots of podcasts. I would still class myself as a comedian because I do other things. And also... What I've discovered is that if you like podcasts, you listen to lots of them and think they're amazing, or you don't listen to them at all. And there seems to be no 
middle ground when I talk to people. So I, don't, I mm. often don't tell people that I'm a podcaster because they might not know what that is. Whereas mm-hmm. a comedian, obviously, is a far more catch-all general term. But I think that when I think about what the audience is like for Ellis and John and for the social distance sports, but another one I do, I didn't have that audience prior to doing podcasts. This all come from doing podcasts. And so I'm very, very grateful that there's this medium that I enjoy doing that seems to engender this loyalty because it's a very useful, privileged position to be in as a comedian. Do you think that the podcast audiences are sort of more loyal and will kind of follow you anywhere more so than a radio audience? Yes. Oh, really? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Why do you think that is then? Is it just about intimacy or is it something else? It is about intimacy and it is about the podcast audiences, in my experience, are very passionate and very loyal because they are inviting you into their own personal private space and they are making a, a choice. So if, I think, for instance, the reason that some people criticise the licence fee is that, that there's no choice in the licence fee. And when we were on commercial radio, if we ever got abuse on text and tweets, it was different to the kind of abuse you get on Five Live, for instance, because obviously Five Live is the BBC and you're paying for it whether you like it or not. And I happen to think that it's a good system, but it does mm. engender a different kind of criticism depending on what sort of platform you're on. So the thing with the podcast, though, obviously, is you've made that choice. I don't listen to an enormous amount of podcasts. I listen to ones that I'm going to guest on, mm-hmm. and I've got a few that I listen to all the time. But I am as engaged with those podcasts as I would be if I was sitting down to watch a film or, a, or mm. you know, watch the television or something. So, for instance, I'm an enormous fan of Three Bean Salad. I think it's hands down the funniest podcast in the world. <laughs> and they are friends of mine, Henry, Ben and Mike, and I've known them for a very, very long time, but for mm. a variety of different reasons, like Ben lives in Cardiff, now Mike lives in Devon. Henry lives on the other side of London. I don't see them as friends as often as I'd like. So when I hang out the washing, that's when I tend to listen to Three Bean Salads. I'm hanging out the washings. I've got young children, so you're washing all of the time. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> this is a, a cliche, and people have said this about the social distance sports, but they've said it about Ellis and John as well. They feel like they're in the pub with us or something, or they feel like they're having a conversation that they can't contribute to. I honestly feel like I've gone for a drink with Mike and Henry and Ben, and I'm just in a quiet mood, and I'm listening to them riff. Yeah. <laughs> and it is one of my most favourite culturally immersive experiences, I think. Mm. And if, you know, if there's if there's noise or if I'm interrupted, I will stop and go back 30 seconds so, that I, can, so I don't miss anything. And I re-listen. And I think that, that, that that's the difference between, say, a podcast audience and a, an audience of something else. So when I was a teenager, especially, I would come home and I would just flick through the channels. And I wasn't really engaging with any of that television unless it was something I actively wanted to watch. But if it wasn't something that I actively wanted to watch, I was still watching it anyway, but I was kind of in this half light of engagement. Whereas with podcasts, you, you, you engage completely. And so when you do the gigs, and this is a thing I've noticed from doing podcast shows for a variety of different things, people come up to you and they've, they've really done the background reading. <laughs> <laughs> so like I, I do Guardian Football Weekly, Occasionally, and I've done quite a few of the live shows, which are great fun. But if you go for a drink afterwards and someone who's been at the show will come up and talk to you, 
they <laughs> they might ask you questions based on something you said nine months ago that you forgot. Yeah, <laughs> it's really weird. <laughs> and I, I'm I'm not sure if obviously it does with with everything else, but I think that podcasting attracts a, a quite quite a concentrated version of that. Mm. Has being a podcaster change the way you approach the other work that you do in terms of radio and comedy? Has it changed your attitude to it? With comedy, I've moved from writing English language stand-up to writing Welsh language stand-up. Welsh is my first language. Mm. And I notice, and this is probably a combination of the first couple of shows and, and the podcasting as well, audiences really know me, or my audience does. Mm. So when you're on the comedy circuit, you're turning up in Leeds on a Friday night and no one in the audience will know who you are. So you need to introduce yourself and get them to like you and make them laugh within 20 minutes. Whereas now uh, we did a socially distant sports bar show at the Islington Assembly Hall last night. And you, you can be quite niche and you can talk about, you can make references to running jokes from the podcast that are often two or three years old and they all laugh. Mm. Which means that I think if you're coming to those gigs as a punter, maybe you've been dragged along by a fan of the podcast or by a listener, there are some jokes you're not going to like, or not not that, that you're not going to like them, but they will need explaining and you won't get them immediately. But ultimately, it's creatively, it's the funnest place to be. Performing in front of your own audience is a real privilege and is what every comedian wants. Mm. And I did the circuit for... Um, 10 years and was able to do the circuit but performing in front of people who like you already and are already invested before they've walked through the door that's a much more pleasurable place to be as a performer than performing in front of a lot of people on a night out how do you approach those new listeners that you might get then for example if someone is listening to this and they've never heard any of your podcasts and they they're going to go to one of them right now would they be able to immediately get in on the joke do you sort of introduce yourselves or is there that assumed knowledge and they might have to go back a bit i think crucially what makes ellis and john work as a podcast for instance is that it's a radio show first and foremost hmm. and obviously as a radio show and as radio presenters, we are broadcasting to the nation on a national radio station on BBC Radio 5 Live. And the way people listen to radio, they might listen in the car or in the van or whatever, or they might have it on in the kitchen as they're washing up. You have to keep relevant to new listeners. And so that, it kind of keeps you sharp in the same way that when we were on Radio X and we were doing music radio and not talk radio, Having to play a track every few minutes keeps you sharp, it keeps you snappy, and it keeps you on point. I think some people misconstrue podcasts as friends chatting, whereas actually there's some brilliant podcasts that are very, very structured and, and tightly formatted comedy podcasts. Like I think of Ben Partridge's The Beef and Dairy Network. You know, it's not a couple of mates chatting. That's that's a structured, yeah. scripted um, world that you're invited into. So I think being on the radio means that you can't become too self-indulgent because otherwise you get sacked. And I think that's actually a very, very useful way of thinking and it's a useful skill to develop. And I think that I'm a better podcaster. I'd like to think that I'm a better podcaster for having done the radio. And certainly when we were on XFM, when we began in 2014, obviously nobody knew who we were. John and I were two circuit comics who'd done very little television between us. And so then you are on, it's an audition every week. You're auditioning and hoping that listeners tune in and like you. 
So you're on your best behavior in that trying to be as funny as possible but also as accessible as possible. And if you want to do the, the niche stuff, then you can do that in the intro and the outro. But the radio show itself has to work as a radio show. And with the socially distanced sports bar, for instance, it's Mike Bubbins, who's an excellent comedian. I'm a comedian, but Steph Guerrero was a journalist and a presenter for over 20 years. And he edits it. And so he does keep us on point. And we, we can become niche in the sense of that Mike is very, very interested in the 70s and 80s. And a lot of his references are often 45 or 50 years out of date. <laughs> and also, you're always looking for new audiences and new listeners. Like if you look at the success of something like Parenting Hell, Mm. Josh and Rob started to do that just for a bit of fun in lockdown. And now it's this phenomenon and they're performing in arenas. And and so there are there are new people going coming to that all of the time. Like I was filming a, a football documentary in North Wales and the guy was letting us into the grounds. We were filming something at a, f- a little football club and the guy who let us in and allowed us onto the pitch, he went, do you know Rob Becky and Josh Whittaker? <laughs> I said, yes. He said, you? And I went, yeah, I said, <laughs> oh my God, lockdown parenting hell. Wow. He said, will you, will you text Rob and ask him to do a video? And I did. And Rob did it straight away for me. Oh. And, you know, this was probably in 2021 when it was still a relatively new thing. And mm. now they've gone on and they've had amazing success. So mm. I feel very, very fortunate. Certain comedians and certain comedic styles lend themselves to to podcasting and I think it's probably the thing I'm best at and I did panel shows I did Mutt the Week and 8 out of 10 Cats and Cats does Count and all that kind of stuff and I was good enough to get on those shows but I was never so good that people were like oh my god you've got to have Ellis James back on again he's the guy's incredible <laughs> and some people would go on those shows and really shine and I never did and I was completely accepting of that it's just I don't really have the skill set to do well on those programs I think and for a long time, that was comedy. If you wanted to get on telly, you had to you had to be good at those shows. And I was never particularly good at them. But podcasting is a different thing that suits my sense of humor and my performance style a bit more. And I'm very glad because it they just give you this immensely loyal audience who will go with you. And they will also go with you for new projects. So we've got an awful lot of listeners to Sociedas and Sports Bud come across from Ennis and John. Mm-hmm. Mm. And I'm I'm about to start a new podcast actually, and I'm I'm Ooh. hoping that the same thing happens again. Can you tell us about the new podcast? Yeah, it's called Oh What a Time, and it's a history podcast. Mm. So I'm doing it with Chris Skull, who does Quickly Kevin. So a lot of listeners will recognise Chris from Quickly Kevin. Will he score? And Tom Crane, who's an absolutely fantastic comedy writer. He's a very very in demand comedy writer. He's written on every series of The Last Leg, and he's my main writer on Fancy Football League. And he wrote a really brilliant sitcom with Henry Packer called Reincarnathan on Radio 4, which was nominated for an ARIA. And he does the My Favourite Takeaway podcast with Simran. And Tom, I've known since I was 21 or 22. I've known him for, I was at university with Tom. I've known him for a very long time. And he's such a funny bloke. And the three of us really like history. I did a history degree and a history MA. So in a sort of parallel universe I would be a historian mm. and we've got a historian working with us so he he provides us with the research so that it's sort of academically rigorous 
but then the three of us go off on sort of flights of fancy. So yeah, it's really, really good fun. And I, I do a lot of sports stuff, but this is the first history thing, thing I've done for a mm. while. So yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Is that with the BBC again? No, no, no. It's just, we're doing it independently. So ah. yeah, and the other thing, I suppose I have to mention is is Patreon. I know there are there are different versions of Patreon and the Patreon model, but the thing with Patreon is, if you are dedicated enough to pay for the content as well, it does allow you to do other things. So on the Social Distance Sports Bar, we do a spin off movie podcast, which again creatively takes you in different ways, and we do longer versions, we do ad free versions, and you get sent a pint glass all that kind of stuff and you get first dibs on live tickets mm. it reminds me oh god this is so something that's um an old music fan who used to read the music press in the 90s would say but <laughs> and forgive me for this terrible middle-aged man cliche but when you read about especially sort of american indie bands in the 1980s bands like Fugazi, who took their audiences and curated their audiences very carefully. What that meant then, that a group like Fugazi, probably the best example, they they certainly weren't famous in the way that Nirvana were famous, but they did have this ultra-loyal, dedicated core support who would go with them everywhere. And then, I think it was John Hegley said this to Stuart Lee, if you've got 5,000 people willing to pay you a tenner a year, that's a career. And if, as long as you look after those people, then you're less at the whim of commissioners. Mm. So, for instance, if I, speaking from personal experience, there have been times where a commissioner at a channel has liked my work and said, I'd love to commission you to do something. And then you go, brilliant. And then you write it and they go, that's great. Unfortunately, I'm leaving at the end of the week. So yeah. fingers crossed the next person likes it. And then inevitably <laughs> the next person doesn't like it. And you've gone to all this trouble and now it's redundant. So oh, dear. God, you give me PTSD <laughs> with that story. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was, that was like a few times where yeah. someone would call me in and say, I really love your work. And I'd go, mm. oh, that I'm so glad. Can you write something? Yes. Can you write it by sort of the end of the month? Why does it have to be that quick out of interest? Because oh, I'm moving on to another job. And you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. The thing with curating <laughs> your own audience and Patreon obviously allows you to earn money doing that. As long as the work you do is still of a high quality, and that's up to you, then you're not at the whims of other people whose preferences you can't control. So it, as a, a, a creative person, I suppose, it's, it's a very exciting place to be because you are in control of your own destiny. Mm. And I think that what a lot of writers, in particular writers who don't perform in comedy, find so difficult to handle is that they can be brilliant, but if the wrong person doesn't like you, you're done. Yeah. Mm. It's interesting to think about that sort of Venn diagram almost of all of the the different reasons why people might listen to a podcast, because it might be because they are a huge fan of yours. It might be because they love anything about sports and it might just be that they love new podcasts or they just love podcasts. They want content yeah. all the time. And then you're adding in history into that mix. How do you kind of see that breaking down in terms of your audiences and why they're listening? What I've discovered is that really creatively and it doesn't have to be a podcast obviously this can be a, a, you know a duo presenting on the radio or a double act in tv comedy what people love is good chemistry mm. and if you're lucky enough to have good chemistry with another performer or presenter or comedian then that is 
huge. And the people you expect to be really good together aren't always good together. And sometimes a duo or a trio can be more than the sum of their parts. But mm. chemistry is key. And again, if I was an aspiring podcast presenter and I, I wanted to go into podcasting, and I was at home listening to this, I've, I think I would find that a very frustrating thing to hear because it's it's you can't really teach it. I think you can teach it to an extent in that if you're someone who collaborates a lot, you you become a better collaborator. Yeah. And some people, for instance, I, I, I do a TV show called Fancy Football League with Matt Lucas. And I think the reason we clicked straight away is that we're both very used to being in double acts. Mm. And that is not something that always comes easily to stand-up comics who are lone wolves, really, by their very nature. And I love working with people who've been in sketch groups. So Tom Parry from Pappies is one of the writers on Fancy Football League. Mm. And he is just a tremendous presence in the writing room because he can take criticism and also he's very generous. So I think with podcasting, what it's allowed me to do, just using myself as an example, is I had very, very niche interests as a teenager. And because I lived a little bit out of town, I spent a lot of time on my own. (laughs) (laughs) You're again giving me PTSD with this answer. (laughs) So I lived a little bit out of town and it meant, I think if we'd lived in town, I probably would have been in the park with other teenagers. Mm -hmm. But I was unable to do that because it was a very busy road as well. So I couldn't walk down the busy road because it was too busy and my mum wouldn't let me. (laughs) So it meant that I did spend hours reading about history and football and comedy, which are my sort of main, and music, obviously, which are my main Mm. sort of four. Yeah. And I tried to use them as best as I could. So my stand-up often had very strange analogies to Blur and Oasis in it. (laughs) And I wrote radio sitcoms for Radio Wales that, were based in history with Ben Partridge, in fact, from mm. Free Bean Salad and Garth Gwynn. And I did some character-based sitcoms where the character that I played was obsessed with sort of uh, the history of pre-World War II socialism uh, because he was 110 years old. <laughs> and so it would it would come out in odd ways, but as a podcaster, you are able to to do this because... And, you know, I say niche. I like sport, history, music. I mean, it's not particularly niche, I think. <laughs> but I think what is slightly niche is the the depth of your knowledge. And if you can if you can put across interesting stories, what people like is chemistry and they like stories in the kind of podcasts that I do. Mm. So if you can find interesting stories and tell them in an engaging way, even if you don't particularly count yourself as a normal sports fan, we've got lots of non-sports fans listening to Associated and Sports Bar. It's because sport, when you boil it down, what people really like is stories. They don't like the ball hitting the back of the net or runs being scored or tries being scored. They like stories and sport is better than anything, I think, for creating good stories. So if you can distill that, then you can make a very listenable podcast. Mm. Mm. So just on that point about, you know, sports, music and history not being particularly niche, you're right, they're not particularly niche interests, and yet, you know, we were speaking to Dan Snow from History Hit a couple of months ago, and one of the points he was raising was that while they aren't these aren't particularly niche interests, the BBC and kind of broadcast networks in general don't have the bandwidth generally to commission much content in that area. Do you feel like podcasting 
has allowed these kinds of quote unquote niche interests to flourish and kind of gain a, a wider audience than they otherwise would have. Yes. And also you can be very fleet footed in how you make the program. Mm. So years ago, I had the idea of getting two opposing historians mm. because I, I, I mean, this was a TV show in the, on Welsh telly in the, in the 1980s. I wanted to kind of curate a conversation between two historians with different opinions on the same subject and then just let them go. And it would be a subject that I was going to um, research. So I kind of knew my own opinions. I could marshal the the conversation. As a non-historian, I was just there to ensure that the conversation carried on. And I took this, this is quite a long time ago, but I took this to Radio Wales, I think. And they couldn't understand why I didn't want it to be a radio show. And if it was a radio show, then it would have had to have been a 29-minute show that fits into a slot. Mm. But the reason I wanted it to be a podcast was that I had two footballers on a podcast I I do called Feast of Football, Iwan Roberts, who played for Norwich and Leicester and Huddersfield and Wolves and Watford, and Danny Gabadon, who played for West Ham. But they're both Welsh internationals. They would occasionally disagree about stuff. And it was really interesting, as a supporter being in the middle of a conversation between two ex-footballers, one who was a defender, one who was a striker, who saw the game differently. And I thought, well, if you could do that with history, that would be really interesting. And the thing, because that was a podcast, sometimes the episodes were 45 minutes long and sometimes they were an hour and 10 or sometimes they were an hour and 20. Or if the conversation was really good and we had the time, we might release them as double episodes because it allowed you to do that. When I took, I think they would probably be different now, actually, because Radio Wales does podcasts. But at the time, they didn't really do them. And they couldn't understand why I just didn't want to edit the program down into a 29-minute long radio show and then put it out in the sort of 6.30 p.m. slot. I was like, yeah, but if the conversation veers off in odd directions with two people who really know their subject, Mm. but I want to allow that to happen and I don't want to be thinking about the edit. (laughs) We were just completely at loggerheads. And I'm sure that now, I mean, this is 10 years ago, if I took the idea to them, now, I think they would probably understand what I was doing or why I wanted it to be a podcast. The thing we've learned as well from the socially distant sports bar, which actually breaks my own sort of rule in that I, the reason I like three bean salad, or not the reason, but one thing I think that's good about three bean salad is the episodes aren't too long. Guardian Football Weekly, the episodes aren't too long. So we started off with Distant Pod. The three of us had a, had, a, had a phone call and said, yeah, the 45 minutes, an hour max. Well, we were going to do two in a night. And then because it was locked in, we had nothing else to do. <laughs> they <It> just <laughs> became these absolute monsters, like two and a half hour long episodes. <laughs> and that really put me off. It must have been Comedy Bang Bang or something, one of the American ones. I remember someone telling me it was really funny. And then I looked at it. And it was a two hour, 40 minute episode. I was like, when am I going to listen to this? <laughs> mm. It was like a Mark Maron one or something. It was like two and a half hours. I was like, when am I going to find the time? But then we found yeah. that with Distant Pod, people are like, no, I do like it because I use it on my commute yeah. and I listen to it in over the course of the week. Mm-hmm. And I walk the dog, but I walk the dog every day. So it will last me. By the time I finished it, it's next week and the next one can come out. And so we, we, we didn't try and rein ourselves in. Whereas I think usually, I think 55 minutes to an hour is probably a good time. 
But you also do the pint-sized mm. episodes yeah. as well. So tell us about those different structures and how you kind of land on them and why. Well, the distant part, which is how we refer to the socially distant sports bar, Mike played a really high level of rugby and was a P teacher before he became a stand-up. Steph was one of the BBC's best commentators and he commentated on rugby and boxing and football and 22 Olympics and played a lot of sport himself. There's no real sport Steph doesn't understand intimately. He's friends with Geraint Thomas, the cyclist, you know, covered that when he was winning the Tour de France. And I love sport, in particular football, which is probably Mike's weak point. So it's, we started off trying to make a sports podcast because there was no sport because of the lockdown. So we were, we were friends anyway. So we were sending each other YouTube clips of the kind of things we were watching, you know, because we were going sport cold turkey because of the lockdown. And Steph said, there's a podcast in this. So initially I used to make notes. That's the incredible thing. I used to make notes because we were going to talk about the sport. And then because there's two comedians, it then became a comedy podcast with sport chucked in. And I think the reason it became popular, well, this is why people tell me they like it, is that if you're going to watch a football match or a rugby match or cricket or something, and you're in the pub before and after the game, you're not sitting there obsessively discussing run rates or whether that rugby team should play a drift defence or whether in football there aren't enough asymmetrical overloads because it's, that's actually quite dull. People don't really talk about <laughs> sport in, in that way. And yet that is how you're given sport by sports broadcasters. It's an incredibly scientific analysis of sport as if, you know, like you're talking about the Large Hadron Collider or something. <laughs> and I think that our podcast reflects how people speak about sport because when we want to talk about sport properly, we can because... You know, Mike and Steph coach. They can they oh, can wow. discuss it if they want to. They they coach kids and they coach kids teams and youth teams. And when I want to, I can talk seriously about football. But I think you have to have that light and shade. And then the the podcast then effectively became almost like a pub conversation. I think in lockdown it meant a lot to people because they couldn't have those conversations themselves. Hmm. And it was a pub conversation between sort of three friends who are, in my opinion, quite quite funny. I suppose that's the point of it. So. I think the fact that the the medium is so versatile meant that we discovered organically what people like, so then we did more of it. Mm. And I think you have to make these editorial decisions in a more prescriptive way if you're making a radio show. Mm. So on that subject then, you've done a lot of Welsh radio and you've become quite strongly associated with Welsh football, but... What do you think of the Welsh podcasting industry? Because it's a, a sector that has been kind of growing over the last couple of years. Well, there's some really great young comedians or new comedians in Wales. So I think of the the Zenial Dome with Gareth Gwynn and Esther Sears. They really, really make me laugh. Like Esther supported me on tour. Gareth, I've written loads of radio scripts with Gareth and I've been in scripts that he's written. And... You know, they're the same age as me. And so that podcast is ideal, really, because it discusses some of my most formative memories and they get great guests. Welsh language podcasting is really important because as a minority language, you have to be represented in the media and you have to be represented in modern art forms and modern mediums that people engage with. So 
for instance, in the 1970s and 1980s, it was hugely important that like rock music and pop music was made in Welsh. And it was very important that there was a Welsh language TV station, S4C, came about in 1982, and then you had Welsh language radio, because without people's languages being reflected on telly and on radio and now in podcasting, they will, they're they in trouble. So when I, do, when I see new, exciting Welsh language podcasts come out, I think, great, brilliant. Um, they're young people using the language as it should be used because it's a modern European language and that is what happens to modern European languages. People make podcasts in them. So that's also very important. Is it different podcasting in Welsh compared to English? I did a Welsh language podcast called Do Iaithina Menid, which means two languages, one brain, where I talked to Welsh speakers sort of in the media mainly about their relationships with bilingualism. And it was really interesting talking to people like Hugh Stevens, who's on Six Music and was on Radio 1 for years, because, you know, he's a Welsh speaker from Cardiff. He does Radio Cymru, he does the Welsh language radio. Mm. And they were just interesting conversations. And I think if if I had an interesting comic idea and I thought it suited Welsh more than English, I would just do it in Welsh. It's, 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 it's just a language, really, at the end of the day. I think I'm just very glad that Roger Cymru get behind people and allow them to make podcasts because you can't do it all yourself. It, mm. You know, these platforms are very important. I used to love going on the radio with Hugh Stevens because I, I loved it when he said my name because Rihanna is a Welsh name and no one ever says it properly apart from Hugh Stevens. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Make him say it several times during <laughs> oh, the broadcast. Oh, yeah, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> you also kind of put your money where your mouth is when it comes to kind of helping communities around Wales. So can you tell us about the coffee sponsorship that you had with the socially distanced sports bar? That was because you're sort of rooted in your communities. And still, even though I don't live in Carmarthen anymore, my, my parents still live there. So we sponsor the Carmarthen Town Academy for, I think we sponsor the under 14. So the podcast logo's on the shirt. And the money from our coffee sales went into buying the frames that defibrillators are kept in at football clubs and rugby clubs. And the FAW helped us with that, the Football Association of Wales. And the thing with the sponsorship in particular, which is which is the thing I was really proud of, is that we sponsor the Cardiff Blues youth team. And because Steph and Mike coach youth rugby, and the, the problem is youth rugby always needs money. Like Mike's son's team, they don't have a clubhouse. They can't afford a clubhouse. So at the end of a the game, they're eating hot dogs in a car park. And the, the thing with, with youth sport in particular is it's reliant on parents and volunteers. And so if you know, you've, you, you're know you getting money coming in from a patron and you're able to put a little bit back, especially I think for Mike and Steph who was seeing it up close, it's just a nice thing to do. And it's been very, very gratifying to see seeing my logo or the logo of the podcast I'm a part of on the football strip of a team I used to play for 30 years ago. I really, really, I really like that because I played for Command Town under 12s, under 14s. I can't remember who our sponsors were at the time. But uh, yeah, it's um, it's a very satisfying thing to be a part of. And I think it's quite unusual to have a podcast sponsoring somebody else. I mean, it's usually, it's usually podcasters that are clamoring to get sponsorship in. It's not often that, that that goes the other way. So I think that's a really interesting case study. Well, we were lucky because the Patreon took off. And so 
we, we had you know we had money to to spend on things we wanted to spend it on and i just think that with we did a, a distant pod gig in um in newcastle at the time theater so the show ended at i don't know half past 11 or, or 11 o'clock or whatever and they they got well we all did we got a car back to cardiff because they were both coaching youth rugby at 9am on the sunday Oof. So it is It is a big part of Mike and Steph's lives. I mean, Mike has been coaching, he's now coaching an under-13s team, but he's coached from under-5s or under-6s onwards because he played at a really high level and he was a PE teacher, so he's a great teacher and he wants to put something back. And and the thing with sport at youth level, like I've, I've started to see it now with my daughter, it means a huge amount to children. It's great for their mental health. It's great just to get them out and do an exercise. And it's, it, it could be the most fun part of your week, which is really important when you're eight. Mm. But those teams need money and they need facilities. So, you know, and I think when you see it at the sharp end, then you're eager to help if you can. I just wanted to quickly ask you about your producer, Dave, on your Five Live show, because, you know, we're kind of always kind of having these conversations about how much of a podcast is kind of producer-led, how much is presenter-led. How So how involved does Dave get? Because obviously he comes into it. How much does he kind of steer the conversation if you're either going off topic or he wants you to go towards another topic? We now know Dave so well. So when we were, we went on the Sunday morning XFM slot, which had always been reserved for comedians. So Adam and Joe had done it and Josh Whittacombe had done it, Jimmy Carr had done it, Ricky Gervais and Stephen Merchant had been on there. That XFM Tentel one on a Sunday, I mean, it's now, they're a bit earlier, but it's now Ed Gamble and Matthew Crosby and their show is superb. It is so funny, their show. So we were very, very pleased to be on there, but neither of us had really done any radio. I'd guested on Rod Gilbert's show on Radio Wales a few times and John had guested on the Russell Howard and John Richardson show on Six Music back in the day. So Chris Bourne, who was head of XFM at the time, wanted to give us his most experienced producer, which was Dave, who we'd never met. So we met him in, a, in the pub and the two of us really liked him. But also we both accepted or realised that he really knew what he was talking about because he was presenting breakfast as well. He was presenting the sort of weekday breakfast show. He's just got radio in his blood, Dave. He's got radio in his blood and he doesn't want to make the move into TV because he loves audio. He loves radio and he loves podcasts. And we learned so much from Dave. However, we learned comedically early on that if we ribbed him or occasionally didn't listen to him, it was very funny. <laughs> <laughs> He is younger than the two of us, but he's like our dad. And he occasionally uses the voice he uses with his own children. And he tells us off. And obviously there are, you know, very important rules around balance and things on the BBC and around uh, not promoting brands, etc. And so John in particular will really push that as far as he can. And then he'll have to be told off on air. And it's very, very funny because we're like, occasionally like naughty school children. But... When when we have to be serious, we can be serious. So if there's a big news story breaking and it looks like they're going to take us off the air, because obviously Five Live is primarily a news and sports station, mm-hmm. then we we don't continue to take the mic. Like we've got gears as as presenters, but I think we learnt on XFM in particular, and as that relationship developed, because the one thing commercial radio hates is when you make fun of 
the sponsors for good reason. <laughs> but if you occasionally rib Strongbow Dark Fruits, um, and I have to be told off on air, it's very funny. If you're being told off off air, that's serious, and then mm. you you really have crossed the line. But it was it was a lot of fun to discover where the line was with Dave, mm. and we still do it a little bit. And also, he's just an ideas machine. He's so de- devoted and dedicated to radio, and he does really. He's a brilliant editor, and he just he's just incredibly good at radio stuff. And I can't edit; I don't do that stuff. But I know that if Jan and or, or I have come up with an idea, then Dave will do a really good job. Like the j- jingles are all him, and the all that kind of stuff. Like the we've got a jingle for <laughs> the rare occasions we get sent actual post. To the audio always office. <laughs> the post for me, post for you jingle. It's about two and a half minutes long. <laughs> it, 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 it took Dave a day. It took him a day. <laughs> and uh, we did a live show in a Spiegel tent as part of a comedy festival in Greenwich, as part of the O2 Comedy Festival. I can't even remember. Just for Laughs Comedy Festival or something, I think it was called, about three months ago. We did the live show with Dave and he came on to the post for you jingle and everyone sang along mm. and it's, it's, you know, some of the rhymes are quite strained, but it's very, very funny. And yeah, so he really is a, it's a creative trio with, with Dave as well. I'm aware that we've got to let you go in a sec, but just really quickly before we wrap up, I just wanted to ask you, because I'm quite conscious of the fact that the majority of our references have been very male and yeah predominantly white so I was just thinking about how is that reflected in your audience and if you you know if there is somebody who is a female podcaster who's listening is a sports fan might want to start their own sports comedy podcast do you think that that is an area that is underserved do you think that's something that they would quite easily be able to get into because it's underserved absolutely we've covered a lot of female sport on the podcast and disability sport as well because Especially as a, I think Mike's a very interesting person to talk to about female sport and disability sport because as a teacher, mm. he had to cater his lessons to everyone because he was, you know, he was a teacher in a, in a state secondary school. So we try not to, even though it's it's three men who are on the pod, we we, we try not to just cover, you know, male sport, for instance, and also because we do a documentary every week that obviously allows us to discuss really, really interesting stories from the past that people might not be aware of. So mm. for instance, Catherine Switzer, who's the, the woman who ran the Boston Marathon, and one of the organisers tried to rugby tackle her to, to prevent her from running because women weren't allowed to run marathons at the time. It's wow. an extraordinary photograph where he is effectively barged into a ditch by her boyfriend who was running alongside her. So it's a really, <laughs> really, it's a really amazing story, the Catherine Switzer story and the Boston Marathon. With... The Alice and John show, obviously when it comes to guests, you're always looking for a gender balance. I'm not doing it next week, so Lou Sanders is sitting in, so Lou Sanders tends to sit in if I can't do it because John and Lou are so different, but they've got such great chemistry. It, it, they're really, really fun shows with Lou. In terms of the Ellis and John audience in particular, it's when you look out at it, because obviously we do lots of live shows, yeah. it's 50-50. You can actually see, yeah. Which I'm really pleased about. Mm. Because obviously you can't control who's listening. Mm. I mean, you can control your content and you, you can control your output, but you don't control who gets to listen or who, who likes the show. Distant Pod, the audience, when you look out at it, 
from the stage is is far more male than Ellison John. Because Ellis and John is really, really 50-50 split, I think. And do you think that's because of the radio influence or...? I don't know what it is, actually. But interestingly, I think our biggest fans with Distant Pod tend to be female. The people who are most active on social media about how much they like the pod with Distant Pod, even though if you look at the audiences, they're primarily male, they tend to be women, which is quite intriguing. And there's one woman in particular called Katie who comes to a lot of our live shows and she likes Alice and John as well. I don't think Katie's actually a huge sports fan, mm. Mm. which again is is something I never would have predicted. But yeah, it, it is a concern, especially, I remember with, with Disapod, with the first couple of weeks, it tended to be male sport we chose. And then we, we had a meeting about it and we were like, you can't just choose footballers and rugby players from the 80s there's got to be there's got to be more of a there's got to be more of a mix so it's something that you're very conscious about because obviously you don't know you don't want to exclude anyone Mm. so there's one last thing that i wanted to pick up on Uh, we've spoken a lot about comedy and podcasting and in a lot of cases have been talking about them sort of almost interchangeably and you know it's no secret that a lot of comedians either have their own podcasts or, you know, are routinely guesting on podcasts. What is it about podcasting and comedy, do you think, that gels so naturally together, both in terms of creating them and in terms of the audiences for them? I think that podcasting is a tremendously fluid art form that can lend itself to everyone. I I do feel sorry for some comedians who write structured, well-thought-out scripts, because there are an awful lot of podcasts where people are just chatting. Mm. And I would not want potential listeners to be put off by that, by thinking that that's what it is. Because there's Mm. loads of really, really funny, interesting, scripted work going on there. And I don't think it often gets the recognition it deserves. But you stay in your lane. And I'm I'm a comedian. And even though I have made serious programs. In in the main, I have a, a comics instinct because I like making people laugh. So even though Distant Pod, for instance, probably the best example was meant to be a sports podcast, it became a comedy podcast. And I think that when I do Feast of Football for BBC Wales with two ex-players, because they're really nice, funny, personable people, and I now know them so well because I've been doing that for six years, Obviously, it's a football podcast where we talk about the travails of Swansea City and Cardiff City, etc. We still have a laugh doing it, and I because because I think that the, with the Guardian Football Weekly, the reason that is still the best football podcast and one of the biggest ones, and this is probably true of the Ramble as well. A lot of them are too dry, mm. and if you listen to say Guardian Football Weekly, Max Rushton, who's a brilliant presenter, and Barry Glendenning have great chemistry. So you're listening to it because you want to hear about Man United. But if you're going to hear about Man United, you may as well hear about it from people who are really, really funny and engaging. So, you know, I feel like, my God, like occasionally I have to listen to football podcasts as part of work. And I listen to some, (laughs) my crack, it's sport. (laughs) It's a hobby. (laughs) It's everyone's hobby. Lighten up. (laughs) And I will always defend sport. I think sport's an incredibly important thing. But 
don't don't lecture me like we're talking about splitting the atom. Yeah. <laughs> and with the Guardian, for instance, if you look at human rights abuses in Qatar during the World Cup, mm. they covered that so sensitively. They did such a good job on shining a spotlight on that issue, gay rights in Qatar, and how much of a problem that was going to be. So I went to, I went to the World Cup. I went to one game, and I was walking in, and a friend of mine who was gay had her rainbow hat taken off her by stewards. And the Guardian were covering that stuff for months on Football Weekly, and they were able to do it really, really sensitively. They did really, really important work. But also, if the Southampton-Brentford game has fallen into farce, then they can also do that and reflect it in a way that is um, commensurate. So I think I th- I think that that's why they're still the best football podcast, I would say. I'm drawn in the main to comic podcasts because I like I like having a laugh. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. <laughs> Alice James, we've had a real laugh and so much food for thought. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been a real pleasure to talk to you. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. That was Ellis James talking just very confidently, very fluidly about podcasting as a comedian. I think that's quite an interesting angle because what I loved especially about this interview was that he wasn't trying to make us laugh all the way through, Mm. Um, that it was just actually like a really kind of well, well thought through answers. You could tell that this was something that he's been like considering quite a lot about this new route you might have as a, as a comedian, this new route into podcasting, which suddenly gives you a whole new audience and a whole new way of experimenting Mm. with what can be funny and, you know, the different crossovers, i.e. the sports. But then, of course, the history aspect that he's now starting on. Adam, you were in there, you were in the room. What did you think? It's interesting, as you say, looking at the relationship between comedy and podcasting, because it seems like every comedian in the world has their own podcast. Mm. And I think there is a clear link and a clear relationship between the skills that make one a good comedian and the skills that make a good podcaster, Mm. just in terms of being able to improvise well is, you know, a skill that comes in very handy in both fields, that kind of genial ability to just chat for an hour. Which came through in the interview, right? Like we barely had to ask anything, but he still managed to cover an enormous amount of topics. Reem, what about you? What did you take away from this chat with Ellis? Well, I, I thought it was interesting what you said in the beginning that like he, even though he's a comedian, he didn't try to make you guys laugh throughout the interview. Yeah. And one of my favorite podcasts of all time that I've mentioned constantly on this podcast and on Pop Up wherever I can is called Seek Treatment and it's by two stand-up comedians yes. and they're best mm-hmm. friends and all they do is they have a conversation. Yeah. And I think what's nice about podcasting with comedians is that they're kind of taken out of the sometimes character that they would have on stage or on whatever mm-hmm. platform that they're using. And when they come on a podcast, you get to actually see the real personality behind this. And sometimes you get to see their thought process and you get to see them unravel a joke. And I think it's really nice to like just see them as human when it comes to a podcast versus seeing them on stage for 45 minutes. One thing I also found quite surprising is 
So he's talking about when he started in podcasts with John Robbins at Radio X. Mm. He wasn't really a podcast listener at that point. And he's now fully, feels like fully drunk the Kool-Aid and fully <laughs> got on board with with podcasting as a medium. And I think that sort of journey, that transition is really interesting to look at. I will also say that having listened or spoken to Ellis and, you know, listened to some of his answers, it does feel like there is still so much room if you are a female podcaster who is interested either in comedy or sports, because I don't think barely a single one was mentioned. And it feels like, you know, of course Mm. there is, I think there's so much need for female comedians Mm. to kind of come through and sports broadcasters as well. So hopefully that's an area that we'll see a huge amount of improvement in, in the next few years, because it desperately is needed. I think, I don't know about you guys. Having that platform with podcasting and having something that's long form also with female comedians is going to give them a chance to actually like showcase their talent and and get people to like listen rather than I think female comedians are quick to be criticized on other platforms, especially when things like stand up, you don't often see the full thing. You just see like little clips online on like TikTok or Instagram and you'll find the comments from men being like, this isn't funny mm-hmm. and get off the stage. And, and with a podcast mm-hmm. like there, it's an actual one hour thing that you're going to sit and listen to. And that's a, a place that they can really shine and hopefully get the appreciation from everyone else the more that their voices get raised. Absolutely. We can but hope. Thank you so much, Reem and Adam, for joining me this week. You can find out so much more on podpod.com. And of course, you can sign up to our daily email bulletins as well to make sure that you never miss a thing. We would love it if you gave us a little five-star review. Go on, go on. You know you want to. And of course, thank you to Ellis James for joining us this week. The podcast is produced by the wonderful Emma Corsham for Haymarket Business Media. Emma, we love you. We thank you for all your hard work behind the scenes and for putting up with our nonsense. I've been your host, Rihanna Dillon, and I will see you next week. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye.